Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. You've joined us for the 16th episode of our series, Revelation, God Rules. This is the episode for Sunday, April 30th, 2023, and it's episode 16, Armageddon Ahead. On the eve of battle in Iraq, President George W. Bush announced to the nation that he had commenced an attack upon Iraq, and it would launch at a time and place of our choosing. Jesus Christ is in control of this world, even though it appears sometimes that the enemy is in control. But in fact, Jesus Christ is very much in control. And Armageddon will be launched at a time and place of God's choosing. Jesus warned before he went to the cross that at the end of this age, there would be wars and rumors of wars. I'm going to read to you from the Old Testament prophet Joel from chapter 3 and only two verses there because it applies directly to what we're going to look at today in Revelation chapter 14. Joel 3, 12 and 13. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. That was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Now let's go to Revelation 14, and we're going to look at only verses 14 to 20 today and finish this chapter. In Revelation 14, beginning in verse 14, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now, this is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And you might ask, why do I say that? Because this one is wearing a crown, and he's wearing a golden crown. Now, we notice that he's wearing a golden crown, and this is not just any crown. It's not a diadem like we would expect for a kingly ruler. The other word in Greek is used for a stephanos, that is like a, a garland or a wreath for one who has struggled and won the victory. That certainly describes the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And of course, he is the ruling king. We know that. But here he's pictured with a golden stephanos about his head and in his hand a sharp sickle. I love this. Jesus is wearing the golden crown of victory on the way to the battle. He has already won. Absolutely. Saints win. Saints win. Saints win. <laughs> Echoes of Skip Carey and the World Series champions, Atlanta Braves in the 90s. We win. The Lord Jesus Christ wins. Say amen here. Amen. 
I want to read to you what Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, wrote regarding Revelation 14, 14. How different it will be to see him with a crown of gold upon his head from what it was to see him wearing that terrible crown of thorns which the cruel soldiers plaited and thrust upon his brow. The word used here does not usually refer to the diadem of power, but to the crown one in conflict. And it is very remarkable that it should be said that when Christ comes to judge the world, he will wear the garland of victory, the crown which he has won in the great battle which he has fought. How significant of his final triumph will that crown of gold be about those brows that were once covered with bloody sweat when he was fighting the battle for our salvation. Amen and amen. This is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ pictured here. Well, let's go further in Revelation 14. Let's go to verse 15. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the throne, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. The harvest actually is overripe. Judgment is long overdue. And that's what is implied here in the language. Now, before we go further, let me share with you from the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry prior to the crucifixion death and burial and resurrection. There is going to be, that we're going to see today in Revelation 14, a separation between believers and unbelievers. Now let me explain that once the church is removed in the rapture of the church and there are no more believers in Christ on the earth during the tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble, it will be seven years, that when the church leaves, it, for a little while at least, it may just be a minute, I don't know, but there's going to be a gap there where there are no believers in the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth. But then people will begin to trust Christ. Now they're not strictly speaking part of the church, the bride of Christ, but they become believers in Jesus Christ. So then the earth begins to have many people on it who turn to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, and they will remain true to him no matter what. And among those will, will be people like the um, 144,000 Jewish evangelists and uh, the the two prophets of God, and and so on. Now maybe, let me modify what I said a little bit. Maybe they're already believers and they're left here for that. We don't really know the answer to that. But let's just say that at the rapture of the church, for a time, there are no believers in Christ left on the earth. Could be. You know, maybe I'm wrong on that. The Bible doesn't really exactly address that. Now, people begin to trust Christ. So now on the earth during the tribulation, you now have new believers in Jesus Christ 
while the bulk of the world remains uh, those who hate Jesus Christ and they love the Antichrist, right, when he appears. So when the Lord comes back, and that's what Revelation 14 is looking at, when he comes back, he makes a separation between the believers on the earth that have not taken the mark of the beast. In other words, they're sold out to Jesus and somehow, miraculously, they've not been slaughtered yet and they're, they're still alive. Many will have been martyred already. And of course, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, amen. But you have the problem here of believers in Jesus on the earth and it's the earth the Lord Jesus Christ is coming to totally destroy and renovate, right? So you've got the believers with the unbelievers that are going to be under judgment, those that are alive in the tribulation who haven't died yet, who are not believers in Jesus. But Jesus addressed this in Matthew 13, 24 to 30. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now a tear is like a, a weed. It doesn't produce wheat, but it, it soaks up the water and, and it's a real problem. All right, verse 26. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou so uh, good seed in thy field, from whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then in Matthew uh, 13, uh, same chapter, a little later, 36 to 43, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came unto him saying, declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. He's saying that's me, the Son of Man, about himself. Verse 38, The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity." and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. 
So we know that when the Lord returns, this separation is made between the people who still manage to be alive on planet Earth after everything that happens during the tribulation that we're going to see. The believers are set apart and they go into the kingdom. They're the people who go in and populate this new kingdom the Lord sets up. Uh, They go right from living through the tribulation, being faithful to Jesus, right into the kingdom. Amen. Now, the unbelievers who hate the Lord Jesus Christ, they love the Antichrist. They've taken the mark of the beast. They are dispatched into the fire, just like the Lord says. There's that train again nearby, warning us, warning us, warning us of the impending judgment of God. Amen. Now, let's go back to verse 16. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried, with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city. And blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Now let's stop right here. So, just as the, the wheat, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ after the rapture of the church, just as they are protected and taken care of, and they will, they will literally go into this new kingdom coming, the thousand-year millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ on planet Earth from Jerusalem. They're protected. They're taken care of. But now we see this, this reaping of judgment. You remember the Battle Hymn of the Republic? Uh, many people sing that, but they don't know that some of the words, many of the phrases are from the Bible. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth marcheth on. That comes right here from what we're reading. Oh, man. Now, what is this wine press? Well, it's... Don't let your liberal, progressive, woke preachers and pastors fool you. It's not some spiritual, allegorical meaning of we should be kind to one another and all this kind of stuff. It's Jerusalem. We know this from the Old Testament. We know this for sure. And that is where this great battle of Armageddon, the Armageddon that's ahead for the world, That's where it's going to happen, in the valley of Jehoshaphat, we heard about in Joel 3. Now, I'm not making this up. 
if, if you don't know this or your pastors don't know this, is only because you've never read the Bible or you haven't read it enough. It's all over the Old Testament and the Lord Jesus Christ talks about that right here through the Apostle John. And let, let me read that 20th verse again. Or let's go back to 19. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Now, what normally comes out of a wine vat or wine press when they put the grapes in it and they tread it with their feet? What comes out? Grape juice, right? That's what comes out. That's what we would expect. But in this literal place where the battle of Armageddon will, uh, will herald the return of the Lord Jesus Christ as he comes back to win it, <laughs> he's already won it. He's coming back to enforce his victory. Amen. It's outside Jerusalem. You can see this valley if you go on a tour to Jerusalem. You can look out and see the valley. Yep, not too far away. Now, re let's read verse 20. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood, blood, think about that, and blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horse bridles. What is that, about four feet high? By the space of a 1,600 furlongs. Now, let's break this down. Now, right here, this is where I don't want you to go wobbly on me, all right? <laughs> By that, I mean, don't start thinking, well, this must have something to do with treating one, other, uh, one another with dignity and respect. It ain't got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with a real war that's ahead in the Earth's future, Armageddon ahead. It's a thing, and it's coming. But let's break this out. A furlong, uh, the Greek word stadion, is a distance of one-eighth of a mile, like a Roman mile, about 185 meters. The total distance is approximately, get ready for this, 200 miles. Now, I'm quoting from a number of different writers. It's all lumped into one paragraph, but this is so well put. I've got to share it with you. The blood stretches for 1,600 furlongs, which is approximately 200 miles. The 200 miles may refer to the entire area from the Valley of Armageddon to Basra, which is about 200 miles. Another possible explanation is that it refers to the round-trip distance between Jerusalem and Basra. The fighting will begin in Jerusalem and move to Basra, which is 100 miles, and with the second coming, will return back from Basra to the Valley of Jehoshaphat another 100 miles. But the best explanation is based on Jeremiah 49, verses 20 to 22. In the context, and see Jeremiah 49, 13 and 14, this passage is dealing with the campaign of Armageddon. 
the massive bloodletting that begins at Basra begins moving south down the Arabah until it empties into the Red Sea at the present-day city cities of Islet and Aqaba. The distance from there to Jerusalem is about 200 miles. Armageddon is in the north of Palestine, uh, Revelation 16, 14 to 16. The valley of Jehoshaphat is in the south. Basra is named by Israel as the place where the Lord treads the winepress. And the distance between the farthest points of this front is 1,600 furlongs. So this doesn't happen inside Jerusalem. It happens outside, and the results are are even right around Jerusalem. I guess you could put it like that. But it happens in Israel. That's safe to say. Now, what is signified is a vast destruction of human life over a circumscribed area. Certainly, what is stated of the vast slaughter is beyond anything ever known. Now, it goes even further, these quotes. Let us consider the biblical portrayal of the size of this disaster. This river of blood is 184 miles long, and its depth is the height of a horse's bit. Now, if a horse's bit is four feet high, we can calculate the volume required to fill a bloodstream of varying widths. And as we know that the typical quantity of blood in a person is six quarts, we can then calculate how many people it would take to supply the blood. The blood from one billion human beings would make a stream not even 20 yards wide over this length of 184 miles. A trough four feet deep with radiused sides would average 53 feet in width to hold the blood from one billion humans. If these figures are taken literally, And surely, when we recognize the literality of fulfilled prophecy in Daniel, they must be, then it is clear that God portrays the slaying of all unregenerate mankind. Let that sink in. This will be the most massive battle in the history of mankind. And it started by the Antichrist, but it is finished by Jesus Christ. This is war. Choose a side and stay on it. I'm quoting Joseph Seiss, a great pastor and prophetic teacher from about 150 years ago. Child of Adam, hear and be admonished now while salvation is so freely offered. Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. Those impieties of thine, those guilty sports and gaieties, will yet have to be confronted before the judgment seat. 
those gatherings in the gaming hells and drink shops of Satan, those sneers and witty jests at sacred things, those fiery lusts burning on the altars of carnal pleasure are all written down in the account books of eternity to be brought forth in that great day. Think, O man, O woman, how would you fare were he this night to strike, if not in the city, in reconciliation with the king, outside is only death and damnation, and nothing can make it different. I want to give you a phone number that I would like you to call if you know that you need Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Call this number, 888-388-2683. One more time, 888-388-2683. Now, if the Lord doesn't come first and the rapture of the church and take believers home to be with him if that doesn't happen first and satan the deep state of the world economic forum don't double tap me then i'll be back next week with episode 17 of this week in the word in our series revelation god rules i want to have you like this episode follow the podcast and share it right now with someone who needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ because Armageddon is ahead. Bye-bye.